You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. I go to the to the production company, like, yo, I got this idea, I got this great name. And they're like, oh, that name will never work. I, I, I. So me being, like, on some Larry David Mocha Joe shit, was like, all right, we gonna show these motherfuckers how this get on gas shit rock. So we just started doing our own thing. Welcome to Idea Generation's All Angles, a podcast about culture's most influential brands and the teams that built them. If you're an entrepreneur, creative, or anyone interested in harnessing the power of collaboration, join me, Noah Callahan Bever, each week as we dissect the most dynamic companies in culture. Because the only way to truly understand success is to look at it from all angles. Idea Generation's All Angles is a Will Packer Media podcast. In 2012, a group of friends in New York City formed Ghetto Gastro, a collective of chefs and food enthusiasts with a mission to bring their culinary culture to the masses. In the decade that's followed, Ghetto Gastro has grown from weekly house parties in Long Island City into a full-blown global brand offering large-scale events, their own food products, kitchen appliances, cookbooks, and much more. On this week's episode of All Angles, we talk to founders John Gray, Lester Walker, and Pierre Serrault to get the full story behind Ghetto Gastro and hear how a few chefs and hustlers came together to form one of the most unique brands in food and media. But before any of that happened, years before the sneaker collab with Brand Jordan, 
We're throwing parties at Rick Owens' house. John Gray was just a kid running around the Bronx, giving menu advice to strangers. Born in 1986, Our Lady of Mercy Hospital on 233rd and White Plains is now like a Montefiore Hospital. This is John Gray, founder of Ghetto Gastro. Bounced around a little bit, was in Yonkers, Harlem, and then ended up landing in Co-op City when I was about eight years old. I come from, raised by a black woman, my pops wasn't in the picture. So it was my mother, my grandmother, my grandmother's sisters, and then my mother's sister. And it's interesting because all of the women in my family are like educators and super well educated. So having that foundation was really significant. Food has been my main thing since I was five years old, six years old, like living in El Barrio with my mom, going to First Rock on 88th and 3rd Avenue, hitting the Indian spots, and like just going out to eat with my mom because she was in school and worked, didn't always have time to cook. So we would go on dates and have dinner together. And I remember just being very analytical with the menus and thinking about how flavors go together, almost like some Rain Man type shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I remember a woman that was a regular at First Walk, right? Now known as Walk 88 on 88th and 3rd Avenue. She was a regular too. We used to see her like a few times a week. And I knew I, I was always a talkative, like charming young boy. And I was like, hey, what are you ordering? Like, you, we always order the same thing. She's like, oh, I get the lemon chicken. And I was like, I tried the lemon chicken once. And I was like, nah, this ain't it. And then I told her, I was like, yo, look, you need to order the orange chicken or the sesame chicken because you get the citrus flavors. It comes with the broccoli, which is good for your nutrition. And it has the fried garlic, which gives it a beautiful flavor. And then she ordered it that night, right? And I remember leaving the spot, older Jewish woman, probably in her 80s, right? Just eating alone. And she stopped me and my mom. She's like, yo, your son is a remarkable boy. And I just remember her saying that. She repeated it like three times. And it just resonated with me and gave me such a level of confidence that always stuck with me. While John showed early indications that he had a gift for the culinary arts, he had less success in the classroom. I think my neurology is set up a little bit different, so I had difficulties in school um, in terms of behavior, what they call behavior issues. But the books, the book smarts were always there, but I always was social and liked to turn up and, you know, be a little bit of a menace and a mischievous kid. John became the neighborhood's newest troublemaker, following in the footsteps of another eventual partner in Ghetto Gastro. We grew up in Co-op City, Section 5, northeast part of the Bronx. This is Lester Walker, co-founder of Ghetto Gastro. I uh, lost my father at the age of three. You know, my mom did her best to, to keep me out of harm's way. She was a very strong woman. I owe all of my characteristics and my attributes to my mom. My brother and I grew up in a single family home, unfortunately, but not really unfortunately, because she, you know, she raised us. As I got a little bit older and I was able to, you know, reach the stove, that was one of the ways that I contributed. That's what I owe to my success of being a, being an entrepreneur, being a, being an artist, and being a chef, and being a storyteller. My mother used to do hair in the house. She was in the house a lot, and she would have customers come to the house. They would be in the, in the hallway where she cut hair, talking shit, you know, doing what they do, gossiping or whatever, hanging out, having fun, laughing, you know. I used to make breakfast in the kitchen. I'd make like pancakes, I'd make like waffles, and I would have some left over, and they'd be, in the, they'd be out there like, damn, that smells good. What, what you making? That's, that's your son? 
And so, you know, I would come out there and, and hook the pretty ladies up with, you know, some plates. So they would be like, wow, this is good. You made this? Oh, these eggs are perfect. So that's kind of when, that was like one of the times that I realized that I had a skill, you know, and I was like very young. I'm, I probably was like, I don't know, man, eight, nine. I didn't get no recipes. I'm making it up on the fly. I mean, I was reading the back of the box for this. It was pancakes. I, you know, add water, add eggs, add milk, grits, whatever. Add, you know, read the back of the packages. But, you know, I would add a little bit more butter. I would add, you know, sugar to my grits. I was being creative in that aspect at a very young age. Like, I knew the basics or how to make something. If my grits were coming out too thick, I would add more water. It's like, you know, just, just science, just common sense. I, but I guess it's not that common if, you know, to a lot of people because a lot of people can fuck up a bowl of grits. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I guess it wasn't common sense. I guess that was a skill that I had. Lester found his calling in the kitchen, but John still struggled to figure out his own path. I wanted to be an athlete, play ball, but didn't have the discipline to really, like, do the extra work it took to, to reach the level to get to the league and all of those things. I played in school, like, but I got kicked out of the high school that I went to to play ball like three months into my freshman year. So then I went from Ohio's to Truman High School, which is my zone school in the, in the North Bronx in Cobb City. And it was just a whole different story. It's like you go from, like if I didn't do my homework at Ohio's at the Catholic school, they had a thing called homework clinic, right? Where you would basically go to detention, do the homework that you didn't do, and then not get credit for it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So the, the work was always getting done. And so then going to Truman, where it's like every man and every woman for themselves. It's like, you could go to class, you could not go to class. Going to school was like going to LaGuardia Airport with metal detectives. There was a precinct inside the school. The time that I went there was like the time that Truman was the worst school in New York City in terms of ranking. It was just like a big culture shock. And one of the things that also changes is when you go to Catholic school, you got a uniform. So you might switch up your fitted hat, get a fly book bag, a fly jacket for the winter, and then switch up the footwear, you know, get some Wallabies, some Eastland, or whatever, some Tims, you know what I'm saying? But in public school, you got to be fresh every day. You can't wear the same shit, you know? So that led to external pressure having to, like, get some money. You want to get fly for the honeys, and you know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a whole different type of vibe. And because I was going to school where I was going, it's like, it's hustlers in there, too. It's like people that get money, people that are G'd up. It's a whole, it's a whole different atmosphere. I remember asking my mother and my grandmother for some money, and they're like, yeah, get a job. And then I went to apply every store in the mall in my neighborhood, because it's a mall over there at Bay Plaza. And everybody was like, you got your working papers, but you don't got no work experience. I'm like, how can I get work experience without you hiring me? So that's when I made it my mind, like, yeah, I'm gonna have to hit the streets and get this paper. And, and I ended up doing that, excelling in that field at a very young age. I started selling weed at first, and then I graduated to the snow after high school. I think I was probably when I was 18 and 19. This girl had said she was pregnant by me. She ended up not being pregnant by me. But I had made up my mind, like, damn, if I'm going to be a father, I don't want to be selling drugs into my 20s. So I was like, let me just, the logic I had was like, all right, let me just go hard and get a lot of money right now and start this new, this new game. Desperate for any kind of income, John resorted to hustling in the streets to make some bread. Meanwhile, 
Lester continued to sharpen his cooking skills. So I'm going to say the summer of like my two last years in high school, like junior year, you know, 11th grade, 12th grade. That's when I started, you know, having girls come over the house when my mom's wasn't home. All right. And then, you know, that would be my way to get them to come upstairs. Y'all made some shrimp with some, with some linguine. I made a little pasta. Come through. We watch a movie. Ah, ah, this, that, and the third. So I would do that. But I wasn't even thinking about becoming a chef, like, at this point. I was just, you know, I was just macking, like, figuring it out. Like, you know, having something to bring to the table, like, have a date. I didn't have no money to take them out, to go to, to go out. Like, I didn't have money. But, you know, if moms was out of town, I was taking advantage of that, and I would cook. That was my thing. I like, uh, you know, shrimp pasta, mostly pastas. At this point, I'm just, like, going crazy with pastas. Shrimp primavera, linguine with the Alfredo garlic butter yada 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 then um i had a little problem with authority so i wasn't really lasting in in my high schools for that long like every high school i was pretty much like getting kicked out of these high schools you know i had a problem with authority i didn't like to listen i knew i wanted to do my own thing in hindsight i kind of knew that i wanted to be an entrepreneur i didn't want to take orders from anybody i wanted to do my own thing i wanted to be my own boss my last year of high school my mom's like yo you got to figure something out and it was a school called Park West, downtown Manhattan on West 50th Street. And I'm looking through the book of high schools. So my mom was like, yo, just pick out a high school. You're going to finish up. You're going to graduate. And this is what's going to happen. So I found Park West. They had a cooking program in the school, right? So I said, all right, I've been cooking these past two summers. They really jacking my food. So let me see what it's hitting for. Went to the school. Then the kicker to that was they were like, we go out off campus after school to cater events. I said, okay, cool. And we make money too. Straight cash at the end of the event. Say word, like say less, I'm in there. So I started to do these catering events with my school, making money. My teacher caught a liking to me because the things that I would make, you know, regular recipes in class, double baked potatoes, you know, pasta, making little pastries or whatever. I was good at like my food tasted good. And I used to watch cooking shows on Food Network. Because my mother would put me on punishment a lot and I would stay in the room and I would just watch Food Network all day and I would figure out how to like make plates look cool. So my teacher was like, oh shit, you kind of, you know, you got a little bit of skill. Why don't you enter this omelet making competition? The winner of the competition gets a scholarship to go to culinary school. I said, okay, sounds good. Boom, sign me up. So I was going up against kids that were in like a culinary foundational school for I would say at least four years this is my first year and I came in third place and they gave me $10,000 to go to a cooking school they gave me $10,000 to go to New York restaurant school and I spoke to my mom about it and we like all right cool we're gonna do the culinary school thing but then I started to get like letters from like Johnson and Wales Culinary Institute of America they said that, you know, I, I could have applied my scholarship to go to, to go to one of these schools. So I said, we're going to check out um, Johnson & Wales. Johnson & Wales had a university in Rhode Island. That's the main campus in Providence. But then another kick, I found out that there was a campus in Miami. So you already know. I was like, oh, we going to Miami. We taking this show on the road to Miami. So I ended up in Miami, got a scholarship, got financial aid. Lester took his talents to South Beach to pursue his dreams of being a chef. Meanwhile, John's career in the streets had resulted in some harsh lessons, including multiple arrests. As he searched for other hustles, he stumbled on the up-and-coming world of streetwear. 
So I go to the Funkmaster Flex car show, and this is the first year they had the sneaker show and the streetwear show. And to be honest, I see all of these kids that look very suburban doing this thing called streetwear. And I'm like, hold on, I'm really in these streets though, like for real. Like, <laughs> I think I got something I could offer, bring to the table here. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of when I was like, I think the pivot's gonna be into like doing streetwear, doing something in the apparel space. Cause I've always been creative. Like I, I, I thought I was fly, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, all right, we can figure this out. So I just went full, full throttle. It was this store called Fashion Dex, right? And they sold all of these fashion books, like styling, how to merchandise a line, how to think about cogs and, and price. And this is before YouTube tutorials. And, and I just signed up for FIT and took night courses. I took a bunch of courses from the learning annex. So I just went full immersion into like soaking up game, right? And I'm the type, like even with Ghetto Gastro, I have an idea or an interest. I'm not necessarily going to learn how to design the shit or to make the shit, but I'm going to find the best people to put it together and just direct it. So that's kind of what I did with, with fashion. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. T-I-K-A dot com.
The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. While John dove headfirst into the world of fashion, another crucial member of the Ghetto Gastro Ensemble was about to enter the mix. Well, unlike John and Les, I wasn't born in the Bronx. This is Pierre Soro, co-founder of Ghetto Gastro. I was born in Hartford, Connecticut, and I was raised between Hartford, my mom's from Hartford, my dad's from Barbados, and I was raised between the two growing up as a child, mainly going to school up in CT and then summers and like long vacations in the winter and stuff we would spend down in the islands. From a young age, my father's always had that instilled in myself and my siblings, you know, wake up, brush your teeth, exercise, you know, iron your clothes, make sure you leave the house looking a certain way, all the things. And my mom is more of a hustler in a sense where I've always known her to always have like a steady job, but also have like a side hustle more along the lines of doing things creatively. She used to hustle like cakes and stuff like that. When I was a child, she used to move cakes, but then she also had an events company called Party Your Way. She had a pink van that she used to drive around like a Scooby-Doo van, but that shit was pink and it said Party Your Way on the side. And I remember that was my mom's first real like sort of events company. And that was like my first job at basically at an events company. And when I think about it, because I was working for my mom, but I was real young at that time, but I always saw my mom like dibbling and dabbling into the space using food and or like an event to try to create business and like a sense of entrepreneurship. As I got older, that kind of all came together and like a mix of my mom's hustle and my father's work ethic kind of just got me literally to the place where I am right now. always used food as like a sort of a hustle tactic so like when I was in high school I used to hustle like breakfast sandwiches or like deli sandwiches and subs and shit like that I used to hustle to the kids in between class basically like the, the day before you would put your order in my man Demetrius Lazaridis his pops had a deli so we used to take the orders from the kids the night before and then pull up with the fresh sandwiches and the chips and all that and like put them into kids lockers kids would give us their locker combinations so then in between class, we would just go in, drop their sandwiches in their lockers, bing bong, when they come out, they got their lunch. It was perfect. It was honestly, it was such a good operation. And when the school found out about that, they tried to suspend us and all this shit. They should have really just invested into the young entrepreneurs that we were, as opposed to like trying to, you know, trying to punish us for, for taking basically, they saw it as us taking money out of their pockets and they're like, oh, you're not licensed to sell food and this and that all sorts of shit. Anyways, they were just mad that we was getting to the bag. And I got the last laugh because I'm, you know what I'm saying? I got my food products in stores and shit now, so. 
After high school, Pierre headed to Barbados to pursue a more legitimate career in food. Moved to Barbados for like three and a half years. I was working in like in a couple of hotels, doing some private work with some celebrities and shit. Every time like some celebrities would come into the island, basically they would call me to do the work because I had international experience. Honestly, those were the, my, my least favorite days of my life because I didn't like working for people and being on like hand and foot. And they tell you like, I want this, I want this. I don't like it like this. And as a chef, you know, you're an artist and you want to create and be able to cook your own shit. Some of the people I was cooking for, they were really picky and finicky and didn't like certain things. And I don't do that shit. I'm pulling up to cook what I'm cooking and like, y'all gonna eat it. What I'm cooking is gonna be super tasty, but like these people just are misguided and haven't been introduced. A lot of people haven't really been introduced to food. You know what I'm saying? And then I opened up this spot in this lifestyle center. And it was like an Epicurean shop, basically. I was like 19 years old, maybe 19, 20. It was really dope. It was like a grocery store slash retail food store, almost like an eatery sort of vibe, but like in the islands. But then I had a falling out with the woman who owned the company. And that's when I had my first lesson on getting finessed out of your IP, out of your, basically like your sweat equity and like your work and shit. And because I had a contract, I didn't go over the contract properly. I didn't have a lawyer look at that shit. And basically that lady didn't end up paying me the money that she owed me and was able to build like three or four more locations off of the IP that, that I had created. So that was like a really eye-opening experience for me and that's also one of the things that drove me to move back up north to to the city because i was done with it i was done with that bullshit i was like all right fuck it i gotta get out of here so left barbados moved up to new york pierre left barbados for new york city and began working in different restaurants around the same time lester still in miami at culinary school decided he'd rather be back in new york as well I did two years of culinary school and I was just like, you know, I'm not doing this four-year shit. It's not me. School's not me. I jumped into working in restaurants. First kitchen was Marriott Marquis, downtown 42nd Street, Times Square, 40 Dukes. I was on 40 Dukes, man. Lights, cameras, and action. It was destined for me to live this life. It's like I was taking my show to Broadway. Went from Miami to Broadway, you know what I mean? Worked on Broadway, New York, Marriott Marquis for about a year and some change. I mean, I'm just working at restaurants at this point. Then I finally get a job with John George, Spice Market. So I leveled up, I'm in Spice Market, working with John George. This is where I met my mentor, Anthony Rico, still to this day keeps in contact with me. You know, still to this day has my back. So I was working in three restaurants at the time with John George for like, I'm gonna say like two years, two and a half years. During this time, I lost a, I had a kid, I had a daughter, her name was Jade. During this time, um, Jade was born. She passed away from SIDS, sudden infant death. Like I said, these traumatic things that happened to me in my life, they all happened for a reason, you know? And um, I don't regret any of it. It's like, it's nothing I could do about it. If it's, if it's something that's out of my control, out of my hands, what can I do but just keep pushing, keep being better? But the only thing I regret about that is not healing right, not, you know, doing up, taking the proper steps for mourning because, like, I just jumped right back into work. I didn't take off. Like, I didn't get any type of therapy. Like, 
which was a very traumatic and uh you know a life-changing event that happened to me you know so due to that due to not functioning correctly mentally due to the traumatic instances i lost the job at at um at jean george you know i got into a little squabble with somebody there it was on camera and i got you know they had to let me go but anthony rico i love this brother man my my italian brother man he was like yo i gotta let you go but um we always kept in contact and i ended up like getting other jobs While Lester grieved over the passing of his daughter and searched for a new job, John's foray into fashion was flaming out. Nobody was taking a chance on new brands. I burned through all my trap capital, you know what I'm saying? And still tried to hustle it and figure it out for like another two, three years just through the grindstone. But that shit just wasn't working out. And then I realized like, yo, fashion isn't really my calling. Making things and create, being creative is my calling, but you quickly get into the smarter business, the fashion business, and realize it's not that much of a creative business. It's really about margin, margin operations, logistics. And I didn't have that counterpart. That's where I realized like I'm a creative. I thought I was super business because I got money in the streets, but I definitely skewed towards the right side of the brain more, more so than the left side. But I was just super depressed because I was kind of broke. like. I started selling weed a little bit again, and I had promised myself after I beat my case, I made a promise to the universe I wouldn't sell no drugs. I rationalized it by saying, weed is not a drug. And I'm just like, yeah, what the fuck am I doing with my life? And I just had to do do some soul searching. Like, what, what would I do if it wasn't about money? Because I had to release the attachment to being defined by having money. So, but then I was like, damn, food is what I love. I was a part of this, this business program that Allen Houston had done with Citibank called the Allen Houston Foundation. And it was a business planning competition and, and teaching course. And I was going there to learn how to put together a business plan, et cetera, et cetera, to get into it. And I would take those plans and, and I'd run into Les on the block. And this is after he's done school, he's back in New York. And I'd be like, yo, I'm in this class. Uh, I ain't fucking with the, with the streets no more. This is what I'm doing. And he was like, damn, I want to do this food thing. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to give you the lesson plans. I'm going to tell you what to do, how to think about the plan. He was doing his thing with the streetwear. I was doing my thing working in high-end kitchens all around New York City. And when we would connect, he would like, yo, Les, where you working at now? And I would tell him, I'd be like, yo, I'm at John George. I'm at Spice Market. You know, I'm at Tabla. Yo, pull up, like, come through. And he, you know, he, he used to like to go to nice restaurants. So he would pull up to the establishments that I was working in. And we connected and we sit from the same block. He like hanging out with me, you know, just like everybody else does, because I have that energy, you know. And then we just started talking about, you know, opening some shit up. Like, because he was at the time, he was going to Allen Houston's um, School for Business and he was learning how to write business plans. And that intrigued me. And we would just hang out, ride around, go to different spots downtown, go to parties, you know, cop gear, because we was fresh. We always been fresh. And, you know, that's how we was building. That's how we was bonding. John and Lester began planning a business together, though it wasn't clear exactly what it would be. But then, an appearance by Lester on a popular cooking show would change everything. So I was a chef in his restaurant. It's not even a restaurant, actually. And my man, Anthony Rico, got me the job because it was straight $1,000 cash Every week, I was guaranteed to get paid, and it was like this nightclub kind of thing, and they wanted to do a restaurant during the day, nightclub at night, 
and they hired me to do that. I did a tasting for them, blew them away. One day, a scout from Chopped, from Food Network Chopped, came into the restaurant and I was running a special. It was coconut, lemongrass, seafood soup. It was really delightful, obviously, because the girl that had the dish came to the back, came to the kitchen where I was at, and she said, did you make this dish? I said, yes, it's amazing. Would you like to audition for Chopped? So I'm like, what? I'm like, okay, but what is Chopped? So she tells me it's a show on the Food Network. So I went, I auditioned, I made it to the show. Next thing you know, like a month or so later on, I had the show and I won. And so from that point on, it was like, yo, I really started to believe in myself even more once that happened. Lester's victory on Chopped brought new attention and credibility to the chef. Looking to keep the momentum going, John pitched the idea that would eventually turn into Ghetto Gastro. My initial idea was for Ghetto Gastro was like, yo, me and Les, we could do some fly recipes, talk shit like how we talk, bring that street credibility, bring that vibe, and make content, you know what I mean? Make, make videos on some epic meal type shit, but shit that's actually delicious and not just ridiculous, you know? I come up with the name Ghetto Gastro during a nap, you know, my, shout out to my homie Larry Mensa. Because I was like, yo, what do you think about ghetto gastronomy? He was like, what about ghetto gastro? And I'm like, oh, that's a good one. That's, I, like the, I like the symmetry. I like the alliteration. It was the production company that wanted to do like a docu-follow based on what I was doing in the fashion game and what, what, I, what I had going on. And I go to the, to the production company like, yo, I got this idea. I got this great name. Fuck with us. And they're like, oh, that name will never work. Uh-uh-uh. This and that. So me being like on some Larry David Mocha Joe shit was like, all right, we're going to show these motherfuckers how this ghetto gastro shit rock. So we just started doing our own thing, doing the house parties, making a name, making it hot on these streets and, and, and turning up. Having his media brand turned down by the production company, John focused on building ghetto gastro from the ground up. This included throwing dinner parties at his house with great food, important guests, and immaculate vibes. Lester, now working at a high-end restaurant inside Madison Square Garden, found that his job had some added benefits that would help keep John's partygoers fed. I'm at Madison Square Garden, and at Madison Square Garden, we have this huge budget. We get to utilize all different type of, you know, exotic ingredients, high-end ingredients. I'm talking caviar, um, sturgeon caviar, beluga. We're getting, like, the best of the best. Like, edible gold, Wagyu beef, Kobe beef, you name it. We didn't have a budget. It's like, whatever we wanted to work with, my boy Cassidy and I, we were the sous chefs at Delta Club. Whatever we wanted, we could get, we can order to create a menu to cater to our high-end guests. So they have all of these products and these ingredients, but at the end of the night, if we don't use the product, we don't use the ingredient, they would tell us, like, don't even worry about it, throw it out. Like, we, 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 like it doesn't matter, just throw it out. So me, being from the Bronx and having the personality, having the background of never letting anything go to waste, zero waste, there's starving people that can eat this food, you know, my family, my neighbors can have this food. I'm not throwing anything out. One man's trash is the next man's treasure. And it was definitely a treasure for me because we would hold, we would throw dinners at John's apartment that he had at the time in Long Island City. We would throw dinners with these ingredients that would go in the trash. Like we, we utilized them. We turned an act of service into an act of 
luxury into something luxurious into into something sustainable with these ingredients that Madison Square Garden would put in the trash we we utilized it these are the first parties these are the hash house parties at this time we're throwing hash house parties we just inviting all of the fly people that we know to the crib we're doing a three course five course dinner all ingredients courtesy of Madison Square Garden courtesy of 14th Street, Union Square, Farmer's Market. They had so much overage, so if like some Wagyu was going away, so some far growl caviar, we had the food stamps rocking, so we'd go get some produce from Whole Foods with the food stamps, so hit the Farmer's Market and just put together an exquisite meal for the homies. The first official ghetto gastro parties were underway, and John's apartment in Long Island City became the epicenter of the brand. I was living in Long Island City at the time. Uh, my man Chike from Cootie and Chike, Creative Control, was out there. He's like, yo, come fuck with Long Island City. I remember going, and I'm like, yo, this shit is kind of high. So I, I got a spot in Long Island City, created community with Chike. We used to hit the gym on a regular. Okay, we working out, and I overhear Pete talking about tuna tartare from Morimoto and shit like that. And I'm like, you know, that's not usually gym conversation or gym fodder. And I'm like, what do you know about the, the Morimoto Tartare? He's like, yeah, I'm a chef. I'm like, oh, where are I? What's your name? Pierre, now having returned to NYC from Barbados, ended up living down the hall from John. Yep, him and I were neighbors in Long Island City. Him and I had met in the gym. We were cool. Kept on just building a friendship. I was selling weed. I was hustling. We just became great friends, right? Like, he always had the weed, and my girlfriend used to always be stressed out. So when she was acting up, I'd be like, yo, P, can you just come over and bring this girl a blunt? You know what I'm saying? And then we, we just bonded. He became, like, one of my closest road dogs. Me, him, Chike, that was, like, the LIC crew. And I had another homie who lived in his building, and he was actually John's neighbor at the time. I used to go to my man's apartment, and I would see this orange extension cord running down the hallway going all the way to the last door at the very end of the hallway on the left-hand side. This orange extension cord is running from the hallway underneath the door into this apartment. And I, and I used to wonder what the fuck was going on. And then just to come and find out, like, that was John's apartment. He wasn't paying his electric bill. And he was just using the building's electric to run <laughs> all of the electric in his apartment. So he had, like, this extension cord that was based from the hallway that was powering his entire apartment. Yo, incredible, man. Like, that was the sort of character that he was. John's apartment, running on free electricity, became the place to be. And soon, the party started to build a real buzz around the city. Initially, we wanted this shop Ghetto Gastro around as a media corporation, as a media platform. But um, I would get so many good ingredients and I was cooking all the time. And we were doing dinners that we just said, yo, listen, like, let's let's focus on, like, it was, it was pop-ups at the time were very popular you know so we focused on like doing pop-up restaurants and doing in the crib supper clubs things of that nature inviting people over we had the liquor program we had the cocktail program we were sommeliers we were chefs and we were just getting it popping man we were getting it popping out of the apartment man. we strategically planned everything from the guest list to the menu to the beverages we invited certain people over that were maybe heads in the PR department of these brands or, you know, just in, in general worked at these brands and we would invite them over and we would get the idea in their head that you need this. 
you need this type of vibe with your brand. We should collaborate. And that's how it happened. It starts to grow. The food was delicious. We were doing more than we started to do this thing called Freestyle Friday. Every Friday, we invited people over from the likes of ASAP Ferg, the whole ASAP mob, and so many damn people, man. Cootie and Chike, they were getting everything on film. Ebro, Laura Styles. We went on a show to promote this pop-up that we were doing, Featherbed Lane, with Scope at the time. Um, that, that got even more people to come through. We were talking shit on High 97. Dax stirred up a buzz. And we always were creating buzzes. And we had track. Also, we had traction because I had just one chop, too. So it was like Chef Lester Walker, Chop Champion, Ghetto Gastro, Freestyle Friday, coming up with whimsical names, Freestyle Friday, 40s and Shorties, Waffles and Models. The big traction kind of came initially after we did this party called Waffles and Models. like, And we did that, that at Le Baron. Shout out to Simenez for getting us the space. We did it at Le Baron during Fashion Week. It was definitely the best party of Fashion Week that year. Um, we had exotic dancers. This is 2013. One of the dancers happened to be Cardi B, who I had met the night before in Long Island. And she just had the star quality and stage presence then. And I, I, I asked her to come over and I spoke to her. And I'm like, yo, come, come fuck with me tomorrow. Get some money, man. She was like, all right, like, I'm going to pull up. And I remember her pulling up, doing her thing. She was so smart. We had these girls, Spider and Magic, who were like Magic City legends. Like, when you talk about doing the tricks and going crazy and all that. And Cardi's like, yo, I can't. I gotta go before them. She's like, I can't go after them. If I go after them, I ain't gonna make no money because all the money's gonna be gone <laughs> from, from them getting all the tips. So she always been been a hustler. It was fly, like Venus X DJ, my man Rufio, Brendan Fallis, Vashti, it was a vibe. As Ghetto Gastro grew, it was only a matter of time before Pierre, still living down the hall from John, brought something to the table. One day, it was a Playboy party that there was happening. I could see his apartment from my window. So whenever there was some shit going on, I would just like look outside, pull up and come across. And he was like, yo, bring your blades and bring some food over. Playboy came to my crib in Long Island City. We threw a party at the crib and Playboy filmed it. They was giving us a cover story. So I pulled up with a couple dishes to the party. And uh, those two dishes that I brought were the first two things gone. And at that moment, the guys were like, okay, well, we see that he's going to bring something to the table that we're missing, in a sense. Pete brought, like, some dishes, and people loved it. I pulled up with a quinoa salad and a kale salad. And those are the first two things gone at that function, and everybody was like, all right, cool. And then I got busy with everything else, too. That was probably the moment where everybody was like, all right, cool, Pete's got some shit that we missing because there was no salads and stuff like that on the table. It was just like a bunch of foie gras, burgers, and chicken wings and stuff like that. So bringing that balance to the team and being able to see the gaps was definitely one thing. I'm like, oh, you can fuck with us. You're official. And I had been tasting his food over the years, and I'm like, yeah, like he's solid, you know what I mean? And, and then, then we just got it in. It was a vibe. It was a vibe. We had a lot of beautiful people there. It was just a vibe. And we did the Playboy spread. And then once we killed that and saw that Pete could hold his own, Pete became a member of the team. I just think that we were diligent. We were consistent. And every time we got a little bit of traction, we kept, we kept going. We kept the momentum up. We worked hard. We worked smart. We worked straight. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. 
When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX Anniversary Sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine washable, and great looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's KNIX.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's KNIX.com. Strategically. With the team complete, the events got bigger, the food got better, and the brands looking to be affiliated with Ghetto Gastro started to call. Jack Daniels, Microsoft, Apple, Ralph Lauren, Polo, Timberland. Our homies that work at these brands have been coming to our parties for years, you know, and we've just been building and not forcing anything and just letting the universe be aligned when time is right. When these brands saw that and felt that energy at their functions, you know, something small, maybe 
you know, a little Timberland dinner or something with Jack Daniels or the event in the south of France with Microsoft. It was really about us seeing the value and knowing that these companies will pay us big money to pull up and do our thing. But it's just about how you approach yourself, your food, the work that you do, how you speak about yourself, how you carry yourself. All of those things really matter. So like people treat you how they meet you. So if somebody's gonna say that they're looking for a caterer, it's like, nah, we're not caterers. You know, we provide culinary experiences. We're artists and storytellers and you know, we'll pull up and we have this offering because food is only, like cooking food is really only one part of what we provide at Ghetto Gastro. You know what I'm saying? Like it's way more than just us putting some food on the plate. We curate the entire experience from the guest list to the music to the plateware to the ambiance, the table settings, everything. Like we we really design and curate the entire experience from soup to nuts. If people have the bag, and the fact that we were able to show, improve, and be consistent as a brand and always show up and show out has opened the opened the doors for us to do collaborations with Beats by Dre and do a set of headphones and you know uh, our own line of Jordans. We did the Jordans One, the Fearless, the Fearless One, React, the Lows. It was a new silhouette. It wasn't our first choice, but, you know, we were glad to have the opportunity to be able to design a sneaker with Jordan and to have, you know, a national release with a, with a sneaker like that. In addition to the Jordan collab, the team started looking to other ways to reach new audiences. This includes throwing larger ghetto gastro events and putting their own products on shelves and stores near you. One of my favorite events ever was Thanksgiving at Rick Owens and Michelle's house. It ended up being like 200 plus people in their house. We cooked off like, I wanna say eight or like 10 big ass turkeys. It was a vibe, yo. And it was crazy because like that was a huge introduction for us into the fashion world. And like when I say that we show up and disrupt spaces, it's like Ghetto Gastro showing up to do Michelle and me and Rick Owens Thanksgiving meal. When we did that, it was just a certain level of status that we had gotten because we, we killed that shit too it was an incredible meal turned into a uh, wavy ass party afterwards i'm the abc and the xyz right so i love the inception of an idea and i also love being a closer like drop me in a target and let me secure that three-year partnership like so we're we're, we're, we're launching the edible package like we're at irwan now but like on a big scale to make it accessible you know we're bringing it to Target. We started to focus in on recipes for the waffle mix, focusing on, on seasonings. We put out a season, a blend of different spices and herbs. We put out collaboration with Sky Farms at the time to create a sovereign syrup. We were working as well on designing kitchen appliances with Crux. We put out a waffle iron, a grill, a smokeless grill, air fryer, a toaster, a coffee machine. We put out all of these different products during the time of the pandemic, and we turned it into a pandemic. Before we were chefs or cooks, we're storytellers, right? It's food is a medium, so approaching product development from the story. Like, all right, what's the story of this ingredient? How do we make something delicious, but that has, that's layered, right? And it's something different. So thinking about how do we bring a certain co consciousness and 
a level of flavor and vibe to it because I go to the grocery store, I don't necessarily see anything that is speaking to me. So wanting to be able to put that out in the world and and be able to take our, our privilege of being culturally relevant and all of that and hopefully making better products that can change health outcomes in communities and figuring out how to make it accessible because how many people get access to ghetto gastro event what 50 70 100 maybe 200 tops it's like the gospel needs to spread further so us dropping a book is a big part of that black power kitchen the book is the book is in target right now as we speak being sold many units are being sold right now thousands of units are being sold becoming a new york times bestseller with black power kitchen With a best-selling book, Black Power Kitchen, products on shelves, and live events on the regular, Ghetto Gastro has evolved from a popping house party into a full 360 media brand. But it's no accident. It's involved hard work, a unique vision, and team chemistry. Man, I think it's just an amazing sort of testimony to the work that John, Les, and myself have been doing. All the people around us have been putting in over these past 10 years. It's a great outlook onto the places that we've been and how they've uh, inspired the moves that we make. And also that gives you like a little glimpse into the future when we're talking about like the future of the, you know, the future of our community and, you know, where we really see the world going, how we see food, how we see ghetto gastro in the next decade. And just also the importance of the black and brown contribution to the cultural space across the world since day one, from food to music, to the arts to fashion, to everything, you know? And it's really just a an ode to the community, to the Bronx for being such a resilient place and a place that I like to call home and that, that I feel has adopted me over the past, you know, 10 years that I've been working with the company and, and rocking with the guys and shit like that. That's the true definition of success right there. When we inspire others and we're a catalyst for the next person's success, that's what success is to me, man. It's just taking something that is in your mind and, and manifesting it into a tangible asset or ephemeral experience. Uh, I find great pleasure in that and just the community, like just being able to be in the Cayman Islands with our families and working and, and hanging and just being like, yo, look at what we've built. Like, like, look, it's a beautiful life. So being able to just build this with my brothers and, and have this bond and it's, it's really a family, you know? I mean, I'm really look, just looking forward to everything else that's to come. But right now, Black Power Kitchen, we're on a mission, man. More nutrition to your kitchen. Let's get it. The story of Ghetto Gastro is one of ingenuity, skill, and immaculate vibes. When John Gray wanted to be an entrepreneur, there was never a shortage of business ideas for him to pursue. When Lester and Pierre showed signs that they were gifted in the culinary arts, they pursued their passion and they willed themselves into being master chefs. And when they all came together, the energy was undeniable and that recipe could only lead to success. For Idea Generation, I'm Noah Callahan-Bever. Thanks for listening to the All Angles Podcast. Presented by Will Packer Media. If you've enjoyed this episode, please don't hesitate to like, comment, DM, 
or tell a friend to tell a friend about Idea Generation and the All Angles podcast. We can't do any of this without your help. And honestly, your support means everything. We do this for you and we can't do it without you. This episode was brought to you by Will Packer. Executive produced by John Balachek and Helena Ox. Original music by Valentin Fritz. Edit and sound mix by Nonsensible Production. And hosted by me, Idea Generation founder, Noah callahan Bever. Idea Generation's All Angles is a Will Packer Media podcast. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.